Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I am doing fine, Bruce. How are you doing? Just trying to All right. it's adjust absolutely. my mic camera here. There we go. Got absolutely gorgeous day out there today. Yeah, I haven't been close, outside. Close to zero and blue, sunny skies. Beautiful we day ever for need a while. that, eh? <laughs> yeah. It'll be great to get out walking around again and I'm going to take care of our health today, these days. So got to eat well and exercise as we can. Mm. Alrighty, Bruce. Um, so we're uh, proceeding as if there's, you know, the, the playoffs aren't canceled yet. So we're going to proceed as if they might proceed um, and look at the Oilers team this year, kind of with the, with how this team's per, uh, uh, performed and, um, kind of analyze how they did and look for best practices, what might work best in the playoffs. So I, I've started to take a look at the power play and I'm going to do like a four or five part series of posts on the Oilers power play. And the first thing I thought would, would the first post is putting the Oilers power play in kind of a historical perspective. And um, there was pretty dramatic news on that front, Bruce. Uh, this Oilers power play, which was the best Oilers power play in the NHL this year, and by quite some some margin, I think Oilers were 29.5% efficiency rate, and the next best team had 25, something in the 25% range. Mm -hmm. That was the Boston Bruins. So that's a pretty amazing accomplishment for this power play. But not only were they um, the best power play in the NHL this year, they're the best Edmonton Oilers power play in terms of efficiency rating of all time. So in the entire history of the franchise, even taking into account that high-scoring Gretzky era, this was the best power play of all time. Um, the next best, so the, this power play was 29.5% efficiency rating. The next best was the 1982-83 power play, which was led by Wayne Gretzky, 54 points, Paul Coffey, 36 points. Mark Messier, 32 points, and it had a 29.3 efficiency rating. One major difference, Bruce, was that power play was on the ice a lot more. They called more penalties then. That power play scored 86 goals. This one just scored 59 goals. Of course, that was in 80 games at that time. This was in 71 games. But um, that power play had 3.7 power plays per game This, this year. Uh, in a in a time when the Oilers are getting historically low power play attempts, this one had just 2.8 power plays per game. <sighs> I don't know. I, I I don't know where that Oilers power play rank compared to other power plays in the 80s in terms of getting power plays. The Oilers are at the bottom of the barrel, aren't they? Not in terms of getting power plays in the NHL right now. It didn't actually. Uh, I've got an actually pretty amazing stat from the 80s. Go ahead. Uh, I looked at 81 to 86, was which was. Uh, uh, second through sixth best all-time Oilers power play by percentage teams, as pointed out in the table in your post, uh, with only the 2019-20 team as an outlier above all of them. And they were consistently for five straight years, somewhere over 25% to as high as 29.3% every year. But you know what? Over those five years, the Oilers had the second fewest number of power plays in the NHL. This on a team that had Wayne Gretzky, uh, Glenn Anderson, Mark Messier, Yari Curry, 
you know, not that anybody was following those guys ever, you know. They had the second fewest power plays in the NHL for the five-year span. The only team that had fewer was the New York Islanders. And the team that was in third place just behind Edmonton was Montreal Canadiens. And those three teams won all five Stanley Cups that year. And they had the three teams that had the fewest power play opportunities. Now, tell me the referees were not managing those games, and I will not believe you. So you could look at, I guess that's what we're looking at here. One way to frame it would be, you know, there's a hatred of skill, right? Like they always, they, they, they're, they, um, they're not, the NHL doesn't take care of its superstars. The NHL doesn't take care of skill players, has. but, or I think, but I think that's not the proper framing, Bruce. I think what you're talking about is the managing of games is the NHL wants to keep games close. So the teams that, that get ahead, the really good teams, um, the skill teams, the really good teams, um, they get fewer power plays because they want to give the team that's behind a power play. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, this Oilers team this year, um, in the last few years, hasn't been the NHL's best team. But we've have we gotten fewer power plays than the other all the other teams in the last few years? Do you know? Uh, well, two two years ago, the Oilers set the uh, modern record since power play stats were maintained in 1977 the modern record for the fewest number of power plays per game over an entire season. This was the Connor McDavid playing 82 games team that couldn't, couldn't get a power play. And it wasn't because they were a powerhouse team. Not, you know, I mean, yeah, like, they in, weren't, they were in the eighties. You look at these, I mean, the Islanders had an absolutely incredible power play for yes. years. Deadly, and, deadly. And, and, and the, and the, uh, and the refs screwed them over too. Didn't give them any chances. Didn't give the Oilers any chances. And again, over, this is over a five-year span, so it's not exactly a tiny sample. Where that same period of time, the Oilers, by a wide margin, led the NHL in the most number of power play opportunities against. Uh, Nineteen hundred times they were shorthanded, and over uh, over that uh, over that span, uh, almost a hundred more than any other team. So they were the, the most penalized and second fewest man advantages, and yet somehow the Oilers still managed to come out on top of. Uh, of special teams by uh, uh, 94 goals. <laughs> Bruce, are you getting this from Hockey Reference? I'm getting this right off of NHL.com. Okay. So, okay. Well, this looks like a post you could do because it would be interesting. You know, the other question I have is, so, so what I'm hoping is, we're looking forward to the playoffs here. One of the things I've heard is that the NHL tends to call a bit few more power plays in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm hoping that the Oilers, if they make the playoffs, if there is a playoffs, they'll make them. Um that um, if the orders do get there this year, that they're going to get that that really excellent power play. So we'll have to look in the 80s to see if that trend continued into the playoffs and see what happened yeah. to the orders in the playoffs. Yeah, this is strictly regular season I've been looking up based on, you know, I'm just looking in the same area that I suspect you found your data. And, uh, you know, just I looked at penalty killing as well just to see if there was trends there. And yeah, the orders were on the short end of the whistle on both power plays and penalty kill, and they still were stomping teams. And, of course, they didn't mind taking penalties because one of the places where they especially stomped everybody was on shorthand goals. Yes. They were, you know, all-time standalone, all-time great uh, shorthanded team for offense uh, that, you know, never never been rivaled. And so... Anyway, but they they, uh, they didn't get a lot of favors from the stripes based on these, uh, you know, they took 24%, they had to kill 24% more 
power plays than they got themselves. That's wow. a pretty wide margin over a 400-game span. Hmm. Oh, just as an aside, because we are looking forward to the playoffs here. Mm-hmm, right. uh, this in from Kevin Paul DuPont, who's the Boston Globe's longtime mm-hmm. hockey writer. He kind of gave a uh, an update on the situation. And his tweet was, a few weeks ago tonight, Bruins finalized plans for media and players to remain six feet apart for interviews. Tonight, no NHL game will be played until mid-May at earliest. All players have been told they can leave their respective cities to live elsewhere for the next six to seven weeks. <coughs> Excuse me, and I think the NHL has said it's going to take two weeks of mm-hmm. training. Maybe, um, is that right? Have you heard that? Two weeks? Maybe maybe someone asked me that, and that was my thought, But or, or did the NHL I read, say that? I read somewhere that uh, somebody's uh, suggestion was... Uh, but the teams, because of the 60-day embargo on crowds of 50 people or more, that if it looked like that, that might actually be lifted after the 60 days, that uh, the teams might start to get together after about 45 days and start to work up to being ready to play games by then. Okay. So that's a that's a basically best-case scenario that they're playing games in 60 days. But okay. with, with a couple of weeks practicing, you know, like a mini training camp under their under their belts. So uh, one other piece of good news, not only was the Oilers power play so good this year, Bruce, mm-hmm. but um, what we, what I see is when I look at the Oilers trends teams, like individual players might go up mm-hmm. or down in the power play year to year, but mm-hmm. teams themselves, at least this Oilers team has been pretty consistent over time. So it was really consistently excellent uh, through the 1980s. <laughs> um, and then it was kind of consistently, pretty much consistently bad. <laughs> After that, until uh-huh. we get to about, uh, there was a couple decent years, the Hall, Nugent Hopkins, Eberly power plays. Mm-hmm. Um, they were okay for a couple years. Like they were above 20% efficiency rate. And, but then they, they, they took a dive and again, and the Oilers power play doesn't start to get good again until 2016, 17. And in 2016, 17, let me just look here. They have the fifth best power play in the NHL. They went from, in one year, 2015-16 to 2016-17, they went from the 18th best power play in the NHL to the fifth best power play in the NHL. That, that team improved in every category, that 2016-17. Like, time and again, they went from, like, 25th to 7th or, you know, 23rd to 8th, you know, and, and major categories, goals for, goals against, uh, and and right across the board, it was a huge improvement. And the power play was 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 <clears> part of it. Uh, but so let's it. let's start with the twenty fifth. Let's let's talk about the power play now in the McDavid era, building up to this this current power play, and kind of analyze mm-hmm. what's happened. So that twenty fifteen sixteen power play, which was just mediocre uh, power play, it, it essentially it had two players um, who were in the top one hundred in terms of power play performance in the NHL. McDavid mm-hmm. was 15th overall, and Nugent Hopkins was 92nd overall in terms of their points per 60 on the power play. So they okay. had two guys that were doing okay. And then they had two guys that were kind of um, Sekera and Latestu mm-hmm. were 105th and 112th overall. Right. So they were close to being, you know, let's say in the top 100, you know, you're in the top, there's usually about 300 NHL players every year who play 75 minutes on the power play. So there's about 300 regular NHL players every year on the power play. It's so two, go ahead. Two, two units per team, basically about 10 yeah. players a team. So uh, McDavid was in the, you know, he was in the very top group, 15th mm-hmm. overall and Nugent Hopkins 
Sakurella Castu or they're doing okay. Um, but um, after that, Jordan Eberle ranked 176. Justin Schultz ranked 187th, and Taylor Hall was 224th that year. Oh. So Taylor Hall was, was kind of an up-and-down power play performer with the Oilers. He, he had in his MVP year in New Jersey, he was, I think, the top power player in the NHL, but he's really been up-and-down uh, mm-hmm. in his career. And he never... Um, you know, one of the reasons maybe he was traded in the end was he never became in Edmonton, at least, a consistently elite power play scorer here in Edmonton. And that was um, that was his last year in Edmonton, right? 15-16, yeah. That, I mean, that was the year McDavid broke his collarbone. So you talk about him being 14th or 15th in the league, points per 60, but only had 14 points on the power play because he missed almost half the season. So his his raw numbers were less impressive than his percentages and of course that was across the board for him that year but uh, yeah Hull he was uh, he had his moments where he was great I remember him getting a hat trick in the third period against the Thrashers one time and pulling out a three goal comeback that the Oilers came back to win 4-3 in uh, (laughs) one game and three power play goals and he tied some franchise record or something with three power play goals in one period Uh, I mean obviously that's just one game but you know he he certainly had the capacity, but there are other times where, I mean, 226th in the NHL, that's not Yeah, good. and Leon Dreisaitl was, he played, Leon Dreisaitl played 184 minutes on the power play that year. He was 234th mm-hmm. that year. He only had 2.9 uh, points per 60. McDavid was at 6.28 points per 60, so 2.9. Like, Leon was on the second unit with Yakupov. Yakupov uh, was weak, 198. Yeah, the, well, the other second unit has been weak forever. And I think one of the reasons that we're seeing the power play spike that we're seeing now is that the uh, coaches have gone more and more to let's just live and die with the first unit for the whole two minutes if we have to. That is so true. So, so in that, in 2015-16, we see um, McDavid, well, he played half the year, as you say, 134 minutes. Nugent Hopkins, 144. Sekera, 189. Letesti, 165. Pouliot, 130. Everly, 183. Schultz, 137. Yakupov, 107. Hall, 231. Purcell, 192. Dreisaitl, 184. So there's a whole plethora of players who are playing over 100 minutes and over 150 minutes. Um, So they really spread around that power play time at that time. And um, as you say, that's changed. So Bruce, let's go to the next year and let's see what's changed when they move to the fifth best power play. Um, I'll give you the same ranking numbers for the players. Um, Here we go. They still seem to have two units. Okay. There's still, it looks like there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players who have played more than, 150 minutes on the power play. But all of a sudden, Leon Dreisaitl takes a step mm-hmm. up. He's the 10th top power player in the NHL. 6.8 uh, points per 60 on the power play. Milan Lucic is signed that summer. 15th best power player in the NHL, Bruce. He really got it done in the power play that year. 6.7 yeah. uh, points per 60. McDavid, 20th overall. Mark Letestu, he starts to set up. He, you know, he he uh, was a good power player the year before. He yeah. was okay. He's 93rd overall. Oscar Clefbaum takes over at the point, and he's 99th overall. Um, so they have all uh, five of their top 
unit are in the top um, 100, 100 for power play performance. And I thought the key that year was finding Letestu uh, for the um, the left circle with his right oh. shot. And he suddenly in the second half came on, they put him in there and he started to fire in the goals consistently. And that just opened up the whole power play. Having him as that threat there um, was crucial. And Lucic, I mean, he got a lot of criticism by the end, but he did have a really, really strong season on the power play that first year. That was an outlier for his whole career. He'd never, he'd never had a uh, um, performance like that any of the time that he was uh, in Boston or Los Angeles. Or subsequent in Edmonton, he'd always been a stronger five-on-five player. Uh, but that first year in Edmonton, Lucic had 50 points, and 25 of the 50 uh, came on the power play. And he had uh, um, he had 25, 23 goals, and 12 of the 23 came on the power play. So literally half of his production, Lucic I'm talking about, half his production came on the power play that one year, and it was a complete outlier for the whole rest of his career, not just his time in Edmonton. He'd never been that effective a power player till that year, but boy, he, uh, he found some magic. So Jordan Eberle that year was 104th overall. He had 4.3 points per 60. So two years in a row there, um, he was kind of in the middle rung of power players. Right. And Bruce, I never expected that. I thought Eberle would be a top power player. Um, you know, that, 2010, uh, 2011, 2012, 2013 power plays that were pretty good in the NHL. <clears throat> he was a huge part of it. And Nuge would thread the cross seam pass over to Eberly and yep. he would deposit it. Uh, but it just, you know, it seemed like the other play, the other teams caught on to that, took away that play completely. And Eberly, he just never developed what Latestu had that year, that consistent shot from the left circle. And it's a big part of the reason that he's no longer an Edmonton Oiler, um, for sure. I don't think Hall's power play performance was a big, uh, you know, as big a reason for moving him out. But certainly with Eberle, that lack of his ability, inability to cash in on the power play in the end uh, started to frustrate the coaches to the point where Letestu oh. took over his job. Letestu, yeah. I, I, my recollection is it was right around... Uh, uh, it was maybe the third of the way through the season. I was going to say December 1st. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think there was a game in Winnipeg, and, and uh, uh, Latestu moved into uh, uh, Everly's spot, and uh, Clefbaum moved into Sekro's spot, and I think it was the same game. And, and they had a new first unit, and they clicked, and they were good for the whole rest of that year. And they had three guys with over 10 power play goals that year. Lucic had 12. Uh, Latestu 11 and Leon had 10. So that's excellent production when you got three, uh, three double digits. Uh, uh, that means you got lots of options. It's just not one, one guy that's doing your shooting for you. It's, uh, they had, they had, a uh, they had quite a bit going on that, uh, that year. All right. Now we move on to 2017, 18 and the owners power play absolutely craters. They have all the same personnel. Um, but they go except from, there. but the first unit, yeah. except yeah, the first unit had all the same guys. They moved out Eberly. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. They go to thirty-first ranked power play, fourteen point eight clearance rate. They drop from twenty-one point two percent to fourteen point eight percent, and oh, excuse me, twenty-two point nine percent to fourteen point eight percent. And um, Bruce, it I I see it as coming down to 
essentially two factors, two players getting old overnight. And this happens in the NHL. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a hard league. It's a very hard league. And overnight, Mark Letestu and Milan Lucic um, became uh, a step behind. They just, you know, they were always a little bit slow, but due to their smarts and effort, they were able to keep up. But suddenly that wasn't enough. The game speed, you know, maybe the game league was speeding up. They're slowing down a bit and they just couldn't cut it anymore. And uh, so Letestu suddenly is ranked 265th overall for power play performance. Hmm. Lucic drops in one year, Bruce, from 15th to 272nd in terms of power play point scoring in the NHL. So simple as that. And, and the coaches uh, were slow to adjust. I thought Mm -hmm. Um, they stuck with those guys. I mean, Lucic played 175 minutes, Latest to 142. Um, Maybe they didn't feel they had any other options. I mean, they Mm -hmm. had Ryan Strom. They could have tried him. Although he wasn't doing much on the power play either. He was 279th in terms of his uh, ranking. That year, McDavid was the top power player on the Oilers, Bruce, 101st out of uh, 319 regular power players. He had 4.9 points per game. So um, For 60? For 60. 4.9 for 60, yeah. He only had 20 20 points on the power play all year, McDavid. And the next on the team was Leon Dreisaitl with 11. I mean, the whole power play stunk. Like, I mean, you can say that the two guys got old, and that was a big part of it, but they just weren't clicking at all. And and the guys, I mean, Dreisaitl's been an enormous power play producer every every year but that one. But, boy, did he uh, hit a dry spell. 11 points, six goals, five assists, you know, for uh, an entire season on, on uh, basically the first unit. But mind you, that was the year that they set the record for the fewest number of opportunities per game. They just were not getting, and it wasn't because they were a powerhouse like the 80s Oilers or Islanders. It's just they weren't getting any calls either. So anyway, uh, that would that's part of the reason that the gross numbers were gross. And <laughs> Dry settle dropped from 10th uh, the year before in terms of power play scoring in the NHL. Mm-hmm. His rate of scoring to 238th yeah. from whatever that was, like 6.8 to uh, per 60 to uh, th- three points per 60. Yeah. And and I, I think what happens, Bruce, is a power play to properly function, mm-hmm. um, it really, like to, to be an elite power play, you need everything to be working. That's right. when it all, when, when it yes. opens up for everyone. And if, and if, like, for instance, this year, if Nugent Hopkins wasn't shooting so well, from the left half wall. And, you know, if they had someone who wasn't functioning there, like Latesti wasn't, then suddenly the teams just stop respecting that and they they take away everything else. They leave that open a little bit more. They, you know, and they cheat towards the other side and they shut you down completely. You know, they're not so worried about Latesti or Lucic anymore. And Lucic not, isn't winning pucks down low. He's not winning pucks on the boards. He's too slow to get retrieve pucks. They're getting the puck out constantly on the power play because Latestu, same thing, too slow to get to pucks that year. They're getting the puck out constantly, shooting it down to the other end. And it's just, it just, it, you need yeah. all five pieces working. Yeah, well, not really any of them were working that well. If you got no one in the top 100, that's, uh, that's not good. So, yeah, okay. it was, it was, that was a year that just went sideways and uh, uh, 
they didn't have a lot of chance to work on their power play. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yes, they didn't. Okay, twenty-eight, nineteen. It takes a step in the positive in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. Um, they are ninth overall in 2018-19, 21-point-2% clearance rate. And McDavid has 33 points, Drysettle 29, Nugent Hopkins 26. So they all take a huge, you know, McDavid 13-point yeah. increase, Drysettle 18 points, uh, Nuge 17-point yeah. increase from no a year comparison. before. Mm-hmm. So in terms of their ranking overall, let me just get to that. Um, McDavid is 13th in the NHL, Drysettle 31st, mm-hmm. Nugent Hopkins 51st. They bring in a new net front guy, Alex Chason, who's 94th, uh, Oscar Clefbaum 144th. So it's still not completely, you know, Clefbaum, as I recall that year, there was a lot of discussion about whether he was the guy or not. And it was a good power play, but, and he was, he was okay in it. But I would say, say that year, Bruce, um, that maybe he was a little bit of the weak link, but the, but they're starting to. They're starting to figure each other out now, and um, they're doing pretty good. Yeah, well, that was uh, the Oilers' number of opportunities improved all the way from 210 all-time low to 222, still practically bottom of the league. And but they uh, they certainly started to convert way more often. I mean, they went from 31 raw goals to 47, so that's a 50% improvement. Or put another way, they scored 16 more power play goals on 12 more opportunities. So obviously they were converting at a much more efficient rate. Yeah. What do you think of Chase on? Like, I, I like I, him on the power play. I yeah. like him way better than I like Lucic. Yeah. For for one, and I I think I like him better than I like James Neal. Lucic used to drive me nuts. He'd be in front of the goalie, be in a screen, and then as soon as the puck got close, he would step out to the side like he wanted to be a you know, in the middle of a bang, bang, bang passing play as opposed to just screen the bloody goalie, let the scorers score, Milan. You know, it used to drive me crazy. Uh, whereas Chase on, if nothing else, he knows he knows his role to a T, and he does it. And, and he tries to get open for that, and he, you know, where he gets down on one knee and he tries to shovel in that pass from one foot out that McDavid feeds over there occasionally. But for the most part, his job is to get in front of the goalie, get in the blue paint, block the goalie's view, engage one of the defensemen, cause a commotion in front, you know, and and, and leave a little bit of room for uh, the other guys to work their magic a little further out. And he, he, does, <laughs> he does it very well. I, I like Chase on a lot on the power play, to be honest. He really knows his role, eh? Like, he, mm-hmm. he sticks in front of the net like no other. Like, I can't mm-hmm. remember a power play net front guy on the Oilers who just really is always, always, always in front of the net. Like yeah, Neil's, Neil's more of a sniper, and he'll, he'll step out, <clears> and then when he gets a good, good shot, he may well bury it. And You know, he's got nice goals numbers. But as a net front presence, I, I wouldn't say he's as effective as I was chasing. So that 2018-19 year, Lucic ranked 278th mm-hmm. out of uh, 325 regular power players in the NHL. They still used him 107 minutes. Mm-hmm. which was about uh, 70. Like, based on his performance the year before, he should have been off the power play that year and not not getting power play time at all, I don't think. Um, Clefbaum got, got hurt that year, Bruce, mm-hmm. also. 
And Nurse stepped in. Nurse didn't do a very good job. He was 197th out of 325. I guess that's okay for a kind of a, a guy learning the ropes in the NHL and the power play. Not far behind Clefbaum, though, really, no, right? No, not I mean, really. And the D-men don't tend to get quite as many points. So when you're lumping them all Correct. together like that, they're they're often going to be down in the second tier. But uh, they had... Uh, uh, that was the year... Lucic, he scored in the first game of the year. In fact, he scored the first goal of the year when the Oilers were playing in Sweden. Remember we did that podcast and I was in Newfoundland and you were here and the game was in Sweden and Lucic had scored the very, very first goal of the year on the power play. And we're thinking after his huge drought that ended the previous year, oh, here we go with Lucic. Well, uh, he, stuck on, he stayed stuck on one goal for like three months. And he only scored one more power play goal the entire year. He got demoted to the second unit, and he scored one of the rare, rare goals that the second unit scored. Last year, I can tell you for a fact that the first unit scored 44 goals, and the second unit scored three all yeah. season, three goals. Based on Lucic's scoring chances numbers, <laughs> I didn't see him rebounding that year. I know that people that were talking about that. I just was not expecting that to happen, and oh. it, it didn't happen. Okay. Oh, yeah, I can tell you who scored the three. Lucic got one after he got demoted to the second unit. Jason Garrison got one. Evan Bouchard got one. There you go. That's the entire season's worth of goals from the second unit. How bad is that when I can remember them all? Because there's so few of them. Unbelievable. It's not good. Three in 82 games. Okay, now uh, we move to this year, top-ranked power play unit. Still not getting any chances. And I think it is fair to frame it both as game manage- management by the NHL and the, the criticism that people make that the NHL doesn't res- protect its superstars, maybe like the NBA does, doesn't doesn't help those players. I think that's a fair that's a fair comment, based on what we're seeing in the '80s, what we're seeing now. Man, that's because uh, this this Oilers team hasn't been a powerhouse in terms of wins. It can't be all game management. So I don't know what's going on. Come on, NHL, do better. Um, so this year with the power play, Bruce, again uh, the best power play in Edmonton Oilers history, which is, that's that's remarkable considering how great those power plays were in the 1980s, how great those players were. Um, Drysaddle, 44 points. McDavid, 43. RNH, 24. And when we look at their rankings, McDavid is was the top power play scorer on a per minutes basis, 10.3 points per 60. Drysaddle was the second best 9.7 points per 60 out of 290 players. Oh, and Bruce, as an aside, guess who was the 290th top power player in the NHL this year? Valeri Nikushkin. <laughs> <laughs> and we're laughing. If it, People might not know why we're laughing. But Nikushkin <clears throat> was famously um, a stats site, Evolving Wild, put forward the idea that... Um, Nikushkin was having it, you know, as good a year as Dreisaitl was what they were saying. And people just were in, a, in here were just shaking their heads and wondering, like, how can you say that? And I, and I think what, it, there, what, what has happened, Bruce, is because players' five-on-five five performance tends to be a bit more consistent than their power play performance, it goes up and down, there's a bias in the stats community, or maybe that's one of the reasons. But there's, for whatever reason, there's this bias mm-hmm. in, the, in the kind of odd people who put a lot of store in even strength on ice stats to put all the weight on that and just to kind of throw the power play stuff out the window for some reason. So you can have a player like Leon Dreisaitl, who's absolutely killing it on the power play. 
And Nakushkin, who's terrible, who's the worst NHLer in the regular season. But because someone puts so much more weight on one aspect of the game than the other and seems to disregard the power play stuff seemingly altogether, they will make a comment like Drysaddle and Nakushkin are kind of comparable MVP candidates this year. And it could come on. Nakushkin's having a good year. I didn't realize he was even playing on the power play. So little impact is he having on it? But it sounds like he had enough ice time to. To qualify, was it 75 seconds? He said 75 minutes. Or yeah, 75, 75 minutes, minutes on yeah. the year. Okay. Anyway, he, uh, uh, I've, I've long sort of looked askance at that, that, that. I see it too as a bias towards 505 stats in, uh, in the um, advanced, uh, you know, fancy stats community. I mean, it is the primary game state. And it is the one game state where you can say, well, it's a level playing field. You got five guys on this team, you got five guys on that team. Anything 50 50 or above or below, it's obvious, you know. Uh, and whereas if you're dealing with an unbalanced situation like the power, well, the power play should score, you know. And the, and the, uh, uh, and I think it does get discounted too much. And there's not enough credit given, or oftentimes people just default to five by five and just simply don't look at the, at the across the spectrum, uh, you know. But uh, uh, this year, I mean, the Oilers scored 59 goals on the power play. Uh, that's a pretty substantial number percentage of the goals that they've scored all year. So, they're uh, what are they at for the year? Uh, I'd have to look at on a different page, but they're. Uh, uh, you know, it's only a few percent of the ice time, but it's a pretty pretty wide percent of the goals. And in terms of winning and losing NHL games, which is what the analysis of players is all about, who helps you win and who helps you lose, mm-hmm. scoring on the power play, well, that goal counts as much as an even strength goal. And it's it's a huge deciding factor in games. I mean, those games when the Oilers' power play outscores the other team's power plays, Wonder what the Oilers' record is. I oh good. There's yeah, two games this year they got outscored five on five and won the game because their special teams were plus two or better in yeah. that game. So yeah, they've got uh, almost uh, over 26 percent of Edmonton's goals this year have been scored on the power play, on a lot less than 26 percent of the total game time. So in terms of the the Oilers' power play rankings this year, uh, again McDavid first overall in the NHL mm-hmm. for power players out of 290 players who qualified. Dreisaitl second, James Neal 26th, Ryan Nugent Hopkins 41st, Chase on 66th, and Clefbaum 104th. Which again, you're right to point out the defensemen are going to be lower down on that because they uh, they tend to put up fewer points on the power play. So that's the Oilers' main unit with Neal and uh, Chase on sharing time, essentially, and they're all um, they're all doing really well. And what I noticed. So a few things. I I thought Oscar Clefbaum, he answered all the questions I had on him, about him on the power play. He became both excellent at making deciding who to pass to. It's usually you're going to pass to the left or the right half wall and he seemed to evenly distribute or distribute it to the right guy at the right time either to RNH or Drysaddle or McDavid. Mm-hmm. Um he, and he put it right on their stick. His passes were so efficient. He was like that point guard in basketball. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I don't know if you remember Duke with Bobby Hurley. You know, he didn't score much, but he would set right. up Christian Leitner. He, there was mm-hmm. always those point guards who don't take a lot of shots, but they distribute the ball. <clears throat> or and if they got two or three talented teammates, uh, yes. they can really make them all look good by, you know, figuring out which guy has got the 
got the best matchup or the most open floor to work with or what have you, and just a real quick distribution. Now, I, I liken Clef Palm to a point guard a couple times over the course of the season that's playing that role. And reigning in the long three is like a number four on his on his uh, job description, or number five. I mean, keeping pucks in at the point and then passing them off to the, those other three yeah. guys and then shooting, you know. Well, this reminds me, Bruce, there was a strategy, I think, in other years where they wanted lots of shots from the point. And you'd see Sekera firing. He, be, he became known as the shin pad assassin. <laughs> and you'd think, why are they always shooting from the point? They never go in. Like, this isn't a very good strategy. Yeah. Like, the strategy should Not be to... Not coffee anymore, boys. Yeah, to set up all these really <laughs> these really great shooters, like Drysaddle, McDavid, RNH, set up those guys down low. Why are you shooting all the time from the point? I, I always wondered that. And, you know, like, they talked about more shots from the point, more <clears> shots from the point. But... This yeah. year, they got it down perfectly. Where Clefbaum didn't take a ton of shots from the point. That wasn't that was that was fairly rare. What mm-hmm. he was doing was um, setting up those other guys, and they had both Chase on and Neil deadly in their own ways, really effective in their own ways. Neil was around the net a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Like oh sure, his his number of deflection goals were were high, and so um, I'm going to take a look in in future uh, posts about which formations actually work the best who created the most goals but neil um did outscore chase on on the power play but uh the power play was effective with both of them um i think it's fair to say and um i think the good news there's a couple pieces of good news here bruce um so in the playoffs i understand i'm not sure about this power plays do go up so if we make the playoffs this year this power plays could get more chances to perform and going forward we see from the orders in the 80s you get a great power play like this. And this is two good years of good power play mm-hmm. from the Oilers. I think we can look forward to this power play being strong for years to come. And, and what we noticed this this year was the chemistry that these players had developed with, with McDavid, you know, kind of, you know, uh, moving everywhere on the power play here, there and everywhere. Dry settle on the right, Nuge on the left. They're, they had a number of set plays they, and they had a number of options every time that the other guys just couldn't shut them down. They couldn't, there were so many options that the Oilers had either put it at net cross seam one timer back to Clefbaum, who's going to redistribute it. Couldn't shut it down. Yeah. Well, they, they, uh, uh, one thing that I personally was crying for on the power play was to unlock McDavid. And I thought they had him shackled to the sidewall, you know, on sort of the, the standard set power play where you put your ace on the sidewall, you know, like Doug Waite nice. used to be years ago. And I mean, McDavid was very good at it, but it didn't really allow, didn't really play to his strengths, which is movement. And his, his ability to sort of flit here, there and everywhere around the offensive zone, be this wild card out there while they also have these other weapons, uh, you know, and, and uh, oftentimes an Oiler goal is scored when, there's so much commotion created on the left flank where McDavid spends a fair bit of time, and then the puck will come out across the goal mouth to Leon on the right circle, and bam, it's in the net before the other team knows what hit him, right? Uh, <clears throat> there's, uh, uh, and because, I mean, when McDavid was playing the half wall game, well, they had to put Leon somewhere else, right? And really, that's his strong spot as well, so. Yeah, I, I think and they've unlocked Leon to a certain extent too. Like he moves around the zone a fair amount as well. But uh, in the general setting, yes, it's it's uh, uh, it's uh, Leon 
tending to the right circle from the bumper to the right circle, yeah. uh, uh, Nuge in the left circle, McDavid here, there, and everywhere. And then the other guys, you know, one on the point, one in the blue paint. And uh, it's been a, it's been a, a pretty uh, successful formula. They really did figure out the roles, didn't they, this year? Like, Chason really doesn't. He really is in front of the net. And Neil generally is, too. And Clefbaum really is just trying to keep the pucks in and distribute the puck. And and Nuge does really tend to stay on the left. but And McDavid's everywhere. Like, when I think of him on the power play this year, other years it would be him on that right half wall trying to make a play, sometimes making it, sometimes not. And a lot of frustration that they weren't using movement. Remember we talked about this, like the uh, Butch Cassidy... Sundance kid thing where mm-hmm. Sundance it was Sundance was you know trying to shoot at the target and not hitting the target because he wasn't allowed to move and he said can I move right. yeah and then when he started to move it was he was hitting the target every time and that's what the analogy I was making to McDavid nice. he needs to move he yeah. needs to be yeah. moving and Bruce did we ever see that um the other thing we saw with McDavid this year was when he was injured mm-hmm. there's been years in the past when the owner's power play has been crappy because they couldn't set up and as mm. soon as McDavid was gone uh, from the power play for those, whatever it was, four or five six games, six, games, six games, the Oilers were having such trouble again setting up on their power gaining play, the yeah. gaining the zone on the power play. And he he is so good. Mm-hmm. He just makes that other team back off because he can rush in there. And they just used his speed so effectively. Um, like never before, I don't think. They, they have mastered the zone entry on the power play. And um, this is why we saw this historic power play this year. It was a, it was a thing of beauty. And again and again and again, they were able to score goals. Um, so, mm-hmm. and the good news, Bruce, is um, more good news is I think with Evan Bouchard and Yamamoto coming up, um, they've got some other pieces uh, that they're going to be able to slot into that power play if people get injured, um, for instance, or just maybe figure out a way to slot in. Um, you know, sometimes the Oilers power play in the 1980s didn't have that net front guy. They would go with uh, five skill players. So they might they might move out a player like uh, Chase on and move in Yamamoto, for instance, in years to come. The Oilers power play unit that I remember from that time didn't even have Mark Messier on the first unit. They had um, they, had, they always ran two defensemen, uh, Coffee and Huddy, on the points. And so up front they would usually have uh, Gretzky, Curry, and Anderson. As, yeah. a, as a first unit, and then Messier and some pretty good guys on the second unit, and the second unit scored more than the second unit scores now, let's put it that way. I mean, here's a stat for you, David, uh, or just an observation from the stats that you laid out in your post here. Uh, this year, Dreisaitl has, uh, they always have 59 power play goals, and Dreisaitl has 44 points. He's been in on 75% of the power play goals. Right, McDavid's got 43 points. He's been on 73% of the power play goals. Last year, he had 33 points out of 47 power play goals. That's 70%. All these teams from the uh, 80s, and here uh, the first scorer was Wayne Gretzky, nine out of nine years. But uh, in his most uh, uh, influential, impactful year, he had uh, he had 54 power play points out of 78 power play goals, 69%. So even the great Wayne Gretzky never got to 70%, which McDavid has done two years in a row, and Dreisaitl once. And it's because it's not because they're better than him. It's because his second unit was better than their second unit. If they don't score, the Oilers aren't going to score on the power play. 
whereas Gretzky had uh, he had a lot of Hall of Fame help. That's the other thing they learned this year was to go, I think, with just a stick for that extra time with the first unit mm-hmm. on the power play. And, um, you know, you'd, I, I, you'd really have to break down when the power play goals were scored this year, um, how long the shifts were, like how many, <laughs> how many in the first 10, first 20, like, I, and I don't know, like maybe so, someone who's better at scraping data could do that kind of work. But I, that's, that's beyond bet, my pay grade. But uh, I'll bet you most of the shorthanded goals against were scored on the second minute of the power play. That would be something to look at too, Bruce. This this unit did give up a fair number of ten, uh, ten shorties against and shorthanded you know, goals against. Came when they were when they were a little bit sucking fumes towards the end of a power play, which is a theme we've seen in other scenarios as well. Cough, overtime, cough. <laughs> well, that might be something to look into too, as well. Look at look at yeah. uh, try to figure out when the power play goals were scored mm-hmm. with this unit. And when the shorthanded goals against, maybe you can make an argument to, to shorten the shifts a little bit. I don't know. Um, it's pretty hard to argue with the best power play in Edmonton Oilers history. Uh, best so. best by, by conversion rate. If you, look yes. at, if you look at net percentage, which they also do at the, uh, NHL.com NHL. site, they do a net, uh, net power play percentage, which is, uh, uh, what they produce minus what they give up. Yes. And so that 82-83 team uh, that scored 86 power play goals and only gave in six shorties. And so they were at 27.2 net, and the current Oilers are number two at 24.5. So 29-4, but they've given up, you know, they've given up a shorty on 5% of the power plays uh, that they've had as well. So... uh, it's been a slight weakness, but still second best all time on net clearance of uh, of uh, power plays, and that was what drove the Oilers in the '80s. I mean, their shorthanded team over the five years I looked at, their shorthanded team had the fifth best rate in the league, but on net PK percentage, they were number one with a bullet because they scored so many shorthanded goals. Yeah. So they they averaged almost 25 shorthanded goals a year over that five years. It's just unbelievable wow. how they attacked on the on the penalty kill. And executed. <laughs> that was, that was a, one thing that just set that team completely in a, in a class of its own for, for that. You know, the counterattack was their thing. So, so um, I'm going to do a coming post on the, just looking at the raw scoring numbers, which we've talked about in today's podcast. Mm-hmm. We're also, I'm also going to look at our own numbers on the power play, the uh, yeah contributions to grade eight chances and see what see if that tells us a little bit different information and we'll look at that over the five years of the mcdavid era as well um to give us some context there and to see how those numbers have changed and and uh they have changed dramatically they shot up this year uh not surprisingly and maybe maybe you know maybe we'll have a couple other posts out of this i don't know like if i don't know how easy it is we'll be just to look at the data when the, the goals are scored how far into the power plays, but that would be interesting perhaps. And then I, maybe you could do a post looking at this issue that you brought up on, um, um, the, uh, number of power plays that the good, the good teams tend to get, um, over time. That would be really interesting to know if, if that's, this is just an anti Oilers. (laughs) That Islanders power play was so good. Potvin, Stephen Pearson, Trache, Gillies, and Mike Bossy. They were over 30% a couple of years, I think. And they, uh, yeah, that was late, late seventies, just before the Oilers got into the NHL. And yeah, clearly, I mean, the league wasn't as balanced then. And clearly the, the, uh, 
the, the raw number numbers, I mean, Occam's razor suggests the easiest solution is that the referees were actually trying to trying to handicap the powerful teams a little bit and give the you know, like Pittsburgh Penguins that were a terrible team for throughout that time, number one in most power play opportunities. It's not because they had the puck all the time, I can tell you that. <laughs> Drawing penalties, it's just they were getting all the calls because they needed all the help they could get. Alrighty, well, let's leave it there, Bruce. And again, we're going to continue on with an eye towards the 2020 playoffs. Hopefully we'll get that. Hopefully we'll be there. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, time will tell. Time I think uh, we can draw. I think this is going to be the first season in uh, Oilers history or maybe any NHL team's history for a team to finish with an odd number of games played. Uh, the Oilers may be one of them with 71. Just, uh, just a season just... Caught in a frozen in a moment in time, you know. Yeah, just like we all are. Yeah, you bet. bet. Alrighty. Thanks for talking today, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.